Good morning, Grace Fishers. Good morning to those of you online. It's a privilege to be here with you this morning. Now, last week, Rob spoke about words of life and words of death and how we need to have a ratio of five to one for positive and negative uh, comments and attitudes and how that influences our relationships. Today, the focus is on the difficult relationships, how we respond to lingering feelings of ill will, maybe a grudge, feelings of hostility. How do we love one another well in this season? Now, when Jeff and I first got married, there was one thing that I did that he hated when we strongly disagreed. And what I would do is I would just kind of roll my eyes. <sighs> can you do that? Have you done that? Yeah, okay. Some of you are good, I can see. It's an attitude of superiority. It's a little bit of a sneering, sometimes with a so-called humor, but the goal is to kind of hurt. And that is what I didn't know at that time, but I know now that's called contempt. And it's one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, as explained by psychologist uh, Gottman. And as Rob explained last week, Gottman can predict with a 94% of accuracy those who will get divorced after so many years if the presence of too much negativity is present and the four horsemen. Now, contempt is one of the four horsemen. Another horseman that, is, that was present in our marriage, but it was a little bit more on the Jeff side, was stonewalling. Okay, so when the listener withdraws from interaction, they just kind of shut down a bit. But it's also the kind of the silent treatment. It can be hurtful and frustrating. He was good at it, but I was good too. But we both really wanted to have a strong marriage, so we very committed and intentionally worked on our marriage and changing our relationship and how we, con we communicated. This is not really good, just only marriage advice. A lot of companies use that for interpersonal relationships, and it's helpful for one another. But scripture has a lot to say about relationships. And as we all know, we are called to love one another as Christ loved us. By this, we will know, the world will know that we are his disciples if we love one another. So we'll be studying today, how we can, can we one another well? How are we doing with one anothering? So today I divided the message into three parts. One is the call. The second is what I'm calling the bedrock, and then the action. The call back to one anothering, the bedrock that can only be done through Jesus Christ. And then the outflow of that, which is really action. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne this morning asking that you would speak to us as we come to you. May the soil of our hearts be soft to receive your word today and fertile to allow growth and transformative fruit. Would you take your truth, Father, and plant it deep in us? Would you teach us today to love one another well, especially in difficult relationships? And Father, may I, Laura, not be in the way of your voice and your message. 
Speak to us, O Lord, in the most precious and holy name. Amen. Now, a few months ago, I began asking God to reveal my heart to me. And I do believe that God speaks to each one of us through his word. And here at Grace Fishers, we have been studying the book of Colossians in the mid, uh, midweek Bible study for women. And I love the book of Colossians. It's actually one of my favorites. And from the very beginning, from the get-go, Colossians 1 says, for us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now, who doesn't want to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, right? And then, as I dutifully was doing my homework, okay, I got to page 46, and it had lots of Bible verses. And by the time I got to the very last one, which was Ephesians uh, 2, 14, was, was very, very good. And it talked about together as one body, God reconciled both groups. I'll talk about the both groups in a little bit by means of his death on the cross. But what caught my attention, that was uh, 12, 14, and then I kept reading to get to 16. Couldn't stop reading because it was so good. Because it says that because of his death on the cross, our hostility toward each other was put to death. And God spoke to me. He revealed to me that I was acting in cognitive hostility toward those whom I had placed on the other side of the fence. Politically, I don't mind people who disagree with me, but if they were a little bit forceful, I put them on the other side of the fence. COVID-wise, again, both sides are fine with me as long as there's respect. And if I felt like somebody wasn't respectful, I would put them on the other side of the fence. If at church or at work, a big decision was made that I deeply disagreed, I would put them on the other side of the fence. And I confess that I had lost the distinctiveness of love and I had grown quieter. Remember stonewalling? I had grown quieter more distant, a bit judgmental. And you know what was worse? I had normalized that. I had not seen that as a sin, as evil. As Jamie Dickens so well expressed, this last season had revealed to me that my one another muscle had really taken a beating and the call was one anothering well. So my question is, is there someone in your life right now? I'm going to ask God to bring to your mind or heart a person, a category of people that you maybe have done the same thing as I did and placed them on the other side of the fence. Why, however, would someone like me, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior at the age of eight. I love him. I have always followed him. I had multiple women disciple me, pour their lives into my life. I have discipled many. I was a pastor's wife. I was a missionary on the field for many, many years. Why would somebody like me, chronologically mature, spiritually mature, still get into that crap? Um, that uh, tendency to build fences. Now, in the field of psychology, we are interested in the why. Why is she going out with him? 
why is he going out with what's up with that right and so we are interested in the whys and so i was wondering why would somebody who is called by christ create fences <clears throat> now i love studying the brain my students know that and Jill Bolte-Taylor is a brain researcher from Indiana. She was from IU for a season. And she helps me explain a little, understand a little bit more. And what she would say is that where the brain runs three neural circuitry, now stay with me, we think thoughts which activate certain feelings, and then your body runs a physiological response. We think thoughts, it maybe activates my anger circuitry, and then my body flushes noradrenaline that flushes me through me and out of me. And that whole chemistry to get that chemistry out of my blood takes 90 seconds. Now, how many of you have been able to stay mad for more than 90 seconds? So what she's saying is that we rethink the thought that reactivates that emotion and then reactivates a physiological response. And we can be mad for days. So the call, however, is that God has also given us higher cortical thinking. That our prefrontal cortex, that God has given us designed agency. And we can choose what we're going to think and how we're going to dwell on certain things. So very quick review. The call is a call back to one anothering. It's to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And then Ephesians, remember, it says that through his death on the cross, he has broken down the walls of hostility, which I felt are present in my heart. Have I said that I'm speaking out of conviction? And then John 13, which is the call that we are to love one another. And that's how we're going to be known. That's our distinctiveness. That's our edge. However, I really don't believe we can do any of that without the bedrock of Jesus. And that's the second part. And this, what this love in action looks like really flows out of Romans 12. And that's where we'll be for the rest of our time. So if you want to get your Bibles we're going to go to Romans 12, verses 9 on. I'm going to read most, most of them, but we're going to focus on just a few of them. But as you're opening it, let's quickly look at the world behind the text. What was the context then? <clears throat> Paul was writing to a church in Rome that was divided. Now listen, he was divided among political lines, cultural debates, People who didn't agree with one another's perspectives, who kind of looked down on other people's beliefs, who needed to really renew their minds. So we're going to start with verse 9, but verse 1 and 2, it talks about Paul calling them. Because of all this, we are needed, we need to renew our minds. Because if we don't renew our minds, we're going to copy the behavior and customs of this world. We need to renew our minds, rethink the thoughts to what it looks like to love difficult people. And that's how Romans 12 began. But while we're going to read several passages, several other verses, we're going to focus on five of them. In the very beginning, it says in verse 9, it says, love must be sincere. 
And LT says, do not, do not pretend, do not just pretend to love one another. Really love them. Now, as I read lots of commentaries, what it said is that love must be sincere is a heading. And then he lists, there's a list of all kinds of other things that we need to do from that verse on. But all it is, is a heading. It says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another. There's just multiple things there that if you see, and if you, anybody here likes lists, and then you check them. Sometimes you even write things that you've already done so you get to check them, right? And so this, when I look at this, I look and it looks like a list, but I want you to know, that's why I had them put them all in one. We're not going to read all of those, but I want you to know that the commentary says that really what that is, is Paul giving us an operational definition of what he means by sincere. If I were to ask you, if I were to ask Molly or Chad or Casey or Lynn or Mike, what does it mean, or Matt, or does, what does it mean for love to be sincere? Then you might give me a list of things. Well, this is Paul's list of things. But I want you to know that it's not a to-do list. He paints a vision of what it means to love as Jesus loved. Now, if you look at that, it's supernatural. Right? I can't do that. It is Christ forming that in us. This is not humanly possible. That's why the focus today for this, for the beginning, is bedrock. Okay? Geology says that bedrock is the solid rock that lies under loose and softer material. Who is our bedrock? Well, Jesus, right? So before we can look at anything that we need to do in terms of action, we need to have, it's a moving toward Jesus. I love some verses. And this, they just kind of came to my mind, right? Acts says that in him we live and move and have our being. Another verse says that Romans 4, I often quote Romans 4, that God brings into existence things that don't exist. Maybe that patience, that kindness is not fully there right now, but God is not bound by that. He brings into existence things that don't exist. And I love also Philippians 2.13 that says, it is he who creates in us the will, even the desire to do it. You know how sometimes we pray, Lord, I want to want. He is the one who places in us the will and even the ability to do that. So it is a leaning towards Jesus. Because we can't find, just wake up one morning. Do we have runners here? No, I'm not one. But... <laughs> I can't, even if I were one, I can't wake up one morning and just try really, really hard to run a one-mile foot race. Or I can't try very, very hard. I'm not trained as a physician, but I keep, I, if I wanted tomorrow, I couldn't try very, very hard to be a physician, to be a medical doctor, no matter how much I tried. There's a, an immense difference between training to do something and trying to do something. And I can't try that whole list because it's not going to work. Spiritual transformation is not a matter of trying, of working harder, but it's of training wisely. So how? Because bedrock is 
something that you've already heard before, but it's spending daily time in the scripture, meditating, listening, confessing, a heart of contrition, worshiping, praising, interceding for one another, solitude, silence, those traditional disciplines that you know what they do? They put us in a place where God can transform me, and then that can flow out of others. I remember praying for patience or extra grace for some very, very difficult people in my life, and I would try so hard, you know, Thanksgiving is coming, great opportunity for us to lean heavily onto Jesus Christ and let him love through us. And then as I did and I practiced these spiritual practices, all of a sudden, I was more patient. All of a sudden, I could extend grace. We can't do anything in terms of love must be sincere unless we lean heavily onto Jesus. Our Bible study, uh, Ruth Charles Simmons, she posited that fruit is born of abiding and work is born of striving. That's what we want and that's the invitation. The invitation is that we would abide daily in Jesus and that we would be Faithfully, he would faithfully bring about this fruit in our lives. So we're going now to Romans. We're going to continue with Romans. So nine was, the, was the, the definition. Love must be sincere. That was the call. Now it's the definition. We're going to go to Romans, uh, to verse 11. Okay, so we've got verse 11 right there. It tells us, in NLT, it says, uh, never be lazy, but work hard. Another version says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now, in the original language, the zeal, and I'm going to read from Meyer's exegetical commentary, says the fervent excitement of the activity of thought and feeling and will for the Christian is stirred up by the Holy Spirit. It's that I was talking about bedrock. That's what this is referring. That zeal is that bedrock. It's fanning into flames with our hearts with the Spirit of God. It is, again, putting up us ourselves in the place where God can transform us. Verse 11 says, The zeal, the hard work, keeps our spiritual fervor. It reminds me a little bit of uh, Paul when Paul talked to Timothy and he said, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's that, it's that zeal. It's that presence. That transformation is happening inside of us and it flows outside of us. Now, it starts with our head. It moves to our heart. But then eventually gets out to our hands and feet. And that's the action. Remember we had the call. Got the bedrock. Because if it's not Christocentric, a cruciformed type of life, this is not going to work. So let's go on to verses 12, right? Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Rejoice in our confident hope is what NLT says. How can we do this? How can we be patient in affliction or joyful in hope? Because as we place ourselves before the very Christ who gave his life to break the walls of hostility, we can engage life from a place of hope. We can be faithful in prayer. And you know what? If we stop praying, we stop loving. 
So what do we do? What's the action there? We pray for those whom we have placed on the other side of the fence. I have a prayer, it's not a journal, it's a prayer book that I put the prayer request that maybe share with me that I have. I put the date, I put the prayer need, and I keep praying for it. At the very end, when God answers the prayer, whether it's a yes or no or wait, I circle it and I keep going. But at the very end of that journal, I have a page that just says, bless them. And I'll tell you what that means in just a little bit. But I pray, action is that prayer. Pray for those who you, whom you have put on the other side of the fence. Verse 14 says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now, bless here in the original language was basically the same word used for eulogy. And when you have a eulogy, when you speak about somebody, you speak good and you speak well of them. That's what this bless is. Bless those who persecute you. Say, even the word, not just the words, because sometimes I'm good with behavioral management, but my thinking, bless those who persecute you. Wish them well. St. Thomas Aquinas, re, uh, kind of reflecting the same teaching that was found in uh, Matthew 5, it says, it is thinking well. It's wishing the good of the other. It's not being neutral. It's actively engaging in one another. When he says, bless those who persecute you. So at the very end of my Bible, of my prayer journal, I have, Lord, bless them. And then I have a list of people that I'm praying that God to bless. And you know that they have are people that I tend to put on the other side of the fence. And how do I pray for them? Lord, would you bless them today? Would you draw them close to you? Would you remind them how loved they are? Would you reveal to them my heart? Would you reveal to me their heart? And as I pray for them and I bless them, God transforms my heart. And therefore, I can be faithful to loving and one anothering well. Verse 16. It just says to live in harmony. Part of it says to live in harmony with one another. And I'm going to show you a video. It's just a two-minute video of a little girl who obviously has seen mommy, mom, and dad, and others not live in harmony. So would you uh, watch that with me, please? Um, are you ready to be his friend? Yes. Try not to be that, that high up to be friends. I want everything to be low, okay? Okay. Just try your best. <laughs> I, I don't want you and my dad to be replaced and and me again i want you and my dad to be placed and settled and be friends i'm not trying to be mean i just want everyone to be friends and if i can be nice i think all of us can be nice too i'm not trying to be mean but i'm trying to do my best in my heart nothing else than that I want you, Mom, my dad, everyone to be friends. I want everyone to be smiling, not like being mad. I want everything smile. Especially when I see someone, I want them to smile. Especially Nana, everyone. I want everyone to smile. And if that's for my dad and you, Mom, I think you can do it. I think you can settle your, your mean your mean heights down a little to short heights. Then it's both, okay? 
I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be a bully. I'm trying to be steady on the floor. Not way down. On straight. On middle where my heart is. My heart is something. Everyone else's heart is something too. And if we live in a world where everyone's being mean, everyone's going to be a monster in their future. What if, if there's just a little bit of persons and we will eat them, then no one will ever be here. Only the monsters in our place. Can we live in harmony with one another? Can we settle the meanness down? Sometimes that might mean not pushing that like button on social media that perhaps expresses how you feel, but it's not building bridges. Verse 17 says, never repay evil with evil. Live at peace with everyone as possible. Bless your enemies. You know what? We will disagree, and that's okay to disagree. But when we disagree, we're going to disagree better. We're going to refuse less social media, which at times could be a contempt machine. Turn off. Let's turn off the unkind comments, regardless of which side. If it's not bridge building. It's kind of like that tiny shift when thoughts turn from hostility to humility, from irritation to affection, from wanting to inflict pain to contrition. And I love this. Paul wrote in Corinth, God reconciled us to himself through Christ. And you know what? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Let's stop building fences and build bridges, beginning with the bedrock of Jesus, and then hope and patience and blessings and prayer will out be an outflow of that. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, and through Jesus you can be reconciled, accepted, loved. But it's gifts not just for me. I can't just receive that gift of reconciliation and not give it to my brother, to my sister. Verse 21 says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. I'm going to overcome evil with good because you are someone I care about. The people who are on the other side of the fence are people some, that I care about or am called to care about. I no longer have a fence. Now I have a bridge. All of a sudden, reconciliation is possible. And as expressed by a former pastor, my prayer is that the reconciliation will be truth-based, sin-confessed, wrongs-amending, hearts-healing, God-initiated reconciliation, where hostility and woundedness gets replaced with healing and goodwill. It always comes at a great cost. It did for Jesus. Because it involves a dying to self. But if you are a Christ follower, this is not an option. But as Jamie Dickens expressed, and I quote him right now, yes, it may be risky, 
But Jesus risked everything when he left heaven and laid down his life to save me. It may feel unfair, but he says unfair is our story. As Christians, we have experienced the never-ending grace of God. And Jesus was not deterred by unfairness. It may look and feel weak, but that's exactly what they told Jesus on the cross. And yet, three days later, death lost its, lost its hold on you and me. I'm not saying that we should not get angry or forget words or forget, or forget, forget wrongs. It is not a call to let someone take advantage of you. You can and should have boundaries. I'm not talking about use and not calling out evil. We need to be angry about things that makes God angry. But in our anger, we do not sin. In our anger, we do not repay evil for evil. We anger differently because we are crucified with Christ. We bring God into that equation. That's the call. That's discipleship. It is the way. This is how Jesus loved us. He overcame evil with good. And he says, as I have loved you, you go do the same. That's how the world will know. Whatever needs to be confessed, confess it. Whatever needs to be changed or repaired or repented of, don't wait. Do it today. That relationship, that attitude, make your heart right with God. This week in your busy schedule, get transformed by the Spirit of Christ, by being with him, fan into flames, the love, the zeal, the reconciliation. This is a vision of Jesus' people who have been brought into Jesus' way. Jesus would sum it up this way. Love one another as I have loved you. This is the call that is built upon the bedrock of Jesus that leads to transformation and action. Let's pray. Would you take a moment to express your willingness to God? God gave his son on the cross to be reconciled to you. And he asks you and me now to be reconciled to the people in our world that is crippled with brokenness, with envy and hatred. Will you right now decide to do whatever God is calling you to do as best as you can discern it? Dear Heavenly Father, today we come before you and our hearts cry out to you as we realize how divided we are. But we praise you for the vision that you have given us, overflowing with your character, your purpose, your love. You have given us vision, and the vision is Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray for everyone who knows what it feels to be hurt, wounded, rejected, offended. I pray that you give us wisdom and courage and softness of heart and determination in the spirit to love well. For it is in Jesus, his most precious and holy and powerful name that we pray. Amen.